the G2, National Director of the Journey for Justice Alliance. Appreciate y'all being here. I'm your host for the On the Ground podcast. You can reach us on Twitter at J4J underscore USA. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, Journey for Justice Alliance. And finally, this podcast is for those that believe, those that are ready to do the work, ready to conversate, not demonstrate. Let's go. Habarigani, Hotep, peace. Assalamu alaikum. What's happening? What up, Joe? This is your man, Brother G2, for another episode of On the Ground, the podcast that examines the artistic science of community organizing. We appreciate you all joining us over these last few weeks. Keep spreading the word as the podcast is growing by leaps and bounds, and people are realizing that these are relevant conversations that need to be had. You know, there's often uh, the narrative that Black people don't care, that in our communities there's nobody organizing, nothing could be further from the truth. So today we have the episode counted up because we want to recognize the fact that against powerful corporate interests, regular people can win. And we're going to examine how brothers and sisters in the state of New Jersey, in Patterson, in Camden, and in Brick City, Newark, were able to win back their right to elect their school board, you know, beating back unjust state takeovers that snatched away democracy and opened the floodgates for school privatization. Before we get into that, I want to just raise an issue. We do something every week called Member Spotlight. Again, we want to lift up the work of regular people. The principal, Kuja Chagalia, says self-determination. To define name and speak for ourselves instead of being defined name and spoken for by others. And too often, people tell us who our leaders are. They tell us who we should respect. They prop people up who often don't have our best interests at heart. So one of the things we're going to do here is we're going to lift the work up of regular brothers and sisters who do what Mary McLeod Bethune talked about and what Fannie Lou Hamer talked about, being ordinary people who rise up in extraordinary situations. This week, we want to shine the light out west in Oakland to our brother Mike Hutchison and the Oakland Public Education Network, a grassroots organization that has been at the forefront of the fight against school privatization in Oakland, has organized to stop school closing. And just recently, this past week, organized the community in support of teachers as the teachers union, the Oakland Education Association, actually went on strike, but not just around teachers' pay, which is important because, you know, there are other societies that do much better than the United States in education. If you look at Finland, one of the things they do is they pay their teachers as high-level professionals. We don't do that in the United States. So that is an important issue. But they went beyond that. They talked about ending school closings, expanding sustainable community schools, stopping the suspensions of our young people, which you know and I know is mostly black and brown youth. So I want to send a salute out to my brother, Mike Hutchison and the Oakland Public Education Network for the great work that they're doing. But what's starting to happen more and more is that community organizations are pushing labor to not just care about what we would call professional issues, but to understand that their students' living conditions are their teaching conditions. So in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in West Virginia, where they actually walked out over charter school expansion. I'm going to ask you all to study a particular point in history. At the University of Illinois in Champaign in 1969, 
there was a piece called Project 500, where 500 black students were allowed into the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. But these 500 students faced, as you can imagine, unbelievable discrimination, not being allowed to stay in the dorms or the ones that were being tortured when they were in the dorms being threatened. And what happened is black people in Champaign-Urbana, and there are a lot of black people in Champaign-Urbana, organized to support those students. So they did things like, instead of the students having to go to the lunchroom, they actually ate with the people in Champaign. They cooked meals for the young people. They housed the young people. And so then the young people, as they got situated in Champaign, in the spirit of reciprocity, they actually began to make demands of the university, pay raises for the people that worked at the university, a discount for children who lived in Champaign to be able to attend the University of Illinois. I'm raising that because Project 500, to me, was an early example of how people that engage in institutions and the people who live in those communities can partner in a spirit of mutual respect. We have a long way to go in regards to community and labor relationships. We've got a long way to go. But Project 500, I think, can be a good piece for us to study, understand how brothers and sisters made that big work happen. Again, salute to Oakland Public Education Network for the big work that they're doing right now. So today, we have with us three dynamic forces for change. We have my brother Fahim Lee, Camden, New Jersey, who is a parent, first of all, of a child in the Camden public school system, but is also an activist. He partners with Sister Roger Dickinson in the Camden Parents Union. He also does the very needed work, what I believe is the holy work of organizing with brothers and sisters that are in street organizations, helping them find a better way forward. So I want to welcome my brother to the show, Brother Fahim. Peace to you, brother. Peace, brother. We also have the incredible, the dynamic. This woman is a force for social justice. And it's deep because I've never seen this sister raise her voice. But she gets incredible things done in Patterson, New Jersey. See, this sister is the relationship builder. And then the sister Linda is the one that flips over the table. So I get it. I get it. But I want to say what's up to my good sister, Rosie Grant, from the Patterson Education Fund and the Patterson Education Organizing Committee. Good morning, good sister. Thank you, Brother G2. Hello to you. And it's a pleasure to be here. And my good brother, I've been locked arm in arm within this work really since like 2007. They had an organization in Newark called Year, which was focused on youth organizing. And then they developed Pulse, the Parents Unified for Local School Education. And they have been a force for change in New Jersey. And there would actually not be a statewide network in New Jersey without Pulse. They brought the fight for sustainable community schools to New Jersey. This brother is an incredible organizer, very knowledgeable. Brother Johnny Latino. What's up, Johnny? Hey, hey, brother Dutu. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. You always mispronounce my name, man. And I'd have known you too long to be calling me some Jew, too. My name is G2, brother. G2, it's coming. Thank you. So people already do the letter G-2. So they trip when I say it's J-I-T-U. You know, again, I was named after the great G2 Wayuzi out of Brooklyn, New York, brother who led the uh, community control of schools movement in the late 1960s, who recently became an ancestor. So all praise is due to the brother G2 Wayuzi. For my listeners, you all may have heard of state takeovers. 
where the rhetoric is that children are in failing school and in order to save the children, in order to do right by the kids, the schools have to go into state takeover in order to make sure that school reform can take place. In other places, it may not be called state takeover. In Chicago, it's mayoral control. In Boston, it's mayoral control. In New York, it's mayoral control. But in cities like New Orleans, Camden, New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, in cities like Detroit, Michigan, where they had the Education Achievement Authority, they call it state takeovers. So what we want to do today is talk to three warriors who actually fought back and won back their right to vote. Because I want to share this with you. In no city where there's been a state takeover has it resulted in improved education outcomes for the children. In the case of Michigan, before the state takeovers in Michigan, before Betsy DeVos and the Great Lakes Institute got their hands on the schools in Michigan, the organizers had put together an African-centered curriculum called the Four Corners Project that was actually improving education in Michigan. And Michigan had rose up to about the middle of the pack in the country in regards to student achievement. Now, we're not satisfied with middle of the pack, right? But the finances were in the black. There were no deficits. The schools were improving. Communities were deeply involved in what was happening in Michigan. After Betsy DeVos got her hands on the schools in Michigan, of course, the schools imploded. They're now millions of dollars in the red. And Michigan is at or near the bottom of academic achievement in the United States. In the case of New Orleans, disaster capitalism at its worst after Hurricane Katrina, where thousands of our people lost their lives, the result was not to reinvest in the public education system to finally bring equity to New Orleans. It was not to invest in the basic quality of life institutions. It was actually to snatch away those institutions, like housing. They killed the county hospital in New Orleans. Now, every school in New Orleans charter. So seven years after Hurricane Katrina, 79% of the schools still received a D or F grade in a state exam. There were rampant issues with corruption, pushing young people out of the system. Young people not being able to go to the charter school right across the street from their house and having to catch a bus at five in the morning, travel halfway across the city. It's insane. 46 different school boards. There's no clear space of accountability. So it was basically a hustle. So seven years, what the privatizers did is they cooked the books. They lowered the uh, standards to make the schools look more successful. So now they're calling it the New Orleans miracle. And then we also know what I guess today, what happened in New Jersey. As schools were improving as a result of the Abbott decision, trying to bring equity to schools in New Jersey, they snatched away the right to vote to only the black cities in New Jersey. I want y'all to hear me. Only the black cities and my guests today had the opportunity to organize and win back their right to vote. So salute to the brothers and sisters that are guests today. And I'm going to ask Sister Rosie Grant, if you could please just introduce yourself, say what you do and why you do. Hi, I'm Rosie Grant. I'm the executive director of Patterson Education Fund in the great city of Patterson, New Jersey, Silk City. What we do at PEF, as we commonly known, is we get citizens engaged in the improvement of public schools. Our mission is to get every child graduating 100% of our kids ready for college, ready for career, ready for life. And we do that by bringing the community to the schools. The schools belong to us and we have to take ownership of it. We take ownership of the failures. We take ownership of the successes. 
And our work is to make sure that they are improved so that our kids are served. We're trying to keep our kids off the streets and in the classrooms, learning and succeeding. And your sister organization is who? Parent Education Organizing Council is run by Ms. Linda Reed. They're a grassroots organizing group, parents getting parents engaged. Similar mission. We have a great relationship with PEOC. We work together on the same campaigns for the most part. And as Brother G2 said, at PEF, we like to build relationship. We're making sure people have seats at tables where decisions are being made. With PEOC, they're rebel rousers. They go hard. So it's a great team. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate you, Sister Rosie. And thank you. Me and Sister Rosie have worked together for a long time. My sister had me in Patterson at a doggone uh, outside town hall meeting. It was like 10 (laughs) degrees outside. And we try to get speeches and the wind is blowing the signs away. But anything for my sister Rose. Anything. We wanted you to feel like you were at home, Brother G. Oh, yeah. I don't need that. I need some sun, man. I got enough cold. <laughs> All right. So, my brother Fahim Lee, please introduce yourself, brother. Who you are, what you do, and why you do. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And uh, thanks, G2, for having me on the uh, podcast. As you said, you know, I'm first a parent. You know, I got a father of four boys and a girl. You know, I got into activism uh, when my oldest son was in third grade. So I saw the need for, you know, a presence of a black man. And I just continued from there. So I'm a member of the Camden Parents Union uh, alongside with Ronsha, you know, my comrade in arms. Um, I'm also uh, a youth development specialist. Uh, we do gang outreach. And uh, basically, my interest is young black boys because that seems to be the target, you know, and uh, you yes, know, sir. trying to medicate them and, you know, neutralize them and keep them from growing. So. Any capacity that we can work in to uh, work with uh, particularly young black boys, you know, that's what we do. And, um, of course, on the uh, spiritual side, I'm the imam of a mosque in Camden. So trying to get the Muslim community more involved because they have a presence in the city. They just have to kind of do more work. So we we just out there in the trenches, you know, trying to get it done and get parents involved, fathers involved, do the work we need to do so we can grow. I appreciate you, brother. And thank you for doing that, that important work. In Chicago, I mean, I've been a part of that where we've often brothers in our generation that come from the block are the only ones that can really relate to young people that are on the block and engaging, you know, in street organizations. And folks need to know that in particular, like in Chicago, when street organizations started, you can go all the way back to like 1911. As black people evacuated the South and started moving to the South side of Chicago, we were being attacked by whites. It is deep. Uh, Rosie and Johnny have been to Sha- Fahim, have you ever been to Shah, brother? No, but I got to get over there. I hear so many great things, man. You know, that's the, yeah. the land of Fred Hampton, man. So I got to yes, get over sir. there. You know? Yes, sir. Yeah. You got to come to Shah because one of the things about Chicago that's kind of heavy is that it's so heavily segregated. And you think it's one of the, you know, 20 biggest cities in the world, right? It's over 3 million people in Chicago, but it is a heavily segregated city. So when we evacuated South, folks notice I didn't say migrated. When we evacuated to South, and we went on the south side of Chicago, white athletic groups, that's what they call them, athletic clubs, would come over and attack us. And if you go to Chicago on 35th Street, you'll notice where White Sox Stadium is. I forget what they call it now. It's the stadium where the Chicago White Sox play. There's the Dan Ryan Expressway, which was actually developed to segregate Chicago. So on the west side of the Dan Ryan, you had predominantly white communities. And on the east side of the Dan Ryan, you have black communities. But they used to come across 35th Street and attack us. And the first street organizations, 
were actually organized in defense of our communities to fight off these groups that would come over, attack our sisters and brothers. And as the municipality disinvested in the black community, of course, the loss of jobs, the deterioration of schools, these street organizations began to, you know, engage in the underground economy. And I think it's important for us to know that these street organizations exist not because young people want to be in street organizations. They exist because they want to belong somewhere. They want to feel wanted, respected, valued, because society does not value us. So again, brother, salute to you for the big work that you're doing. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, last but not least, the good brother, Johnny Latner. Could you please introduce yourself, brother? Say who you are, why you do what you do. Hi, my name is Johnny Latner. I am co-founder along with Sharon Smith of Pulse in Newark, New Jersey. And our mission is to inform, ignite, and inspire. Pulse is a grassroots organization that is at the forefront of fighting for education equality for public schools in New Jersey. We train parents, students, and educators and community organizations with the skills and information they need to advocate for their children and school-making decisions. The reason why we did it is a parent-led group. We made sure that we trained parents that they could have a seat at the table in the beginning of the process of their kids' education. And we have fighters and we leaders and trainers because we know that they're the, they're the number one resource when it comes down to education. You know, Johnny, when I think about Pulse, there are several moments that are meaningful to me, but one of the biggest moments was when you all had uh, asked me to come present at a, a community meeting. It was in the basement of this church and it was snowing outside. There was about 50, 60 people in this basement. That blew me away, first of all. But then the knowledge that your leaders had around sustainable community schools. I mean, you all just organized the meeting and your leaders led the meeting. And that taught me a lot about the effectiveness of your work in building parent leadership. So salute to Pulse. And again, Pulse was the igniter of the statewide network that currently exists in New Jersey. And I want to give you and Sister Sharon much respect for the work that you all do. And again, real grassroots organizations, whether it's, you know, Patterson Education Fund, Camden Parents Union, or Pulse, real grassroots organizations led by people in our communities who are impacted by the issues that they organize around. So Sister Rose, what happened? originally to the right to vote for the black cities and not just Patterson, but throughout the state of New Jersey. When I came on to Patterson Education Fund, it was 1992 and we were one year into state takeover. I was a parent of a couple of young children still in preschool. And I got involved because I knew that my kids were going to go to public schools. The state decided that the city of Patterson was educationally bankrupt. They oh. came in, they dismissed the superintendent dismissed the school board and put in place a state district superintendent, someone who was hired by the state, who reported to the state. That started 27 years of what we like to refer to as one of our senators put it, taxation without representation. Once they seized the school board and put people in place, there was also no right to vote to decide who would run our schools. Both the superintendent was appointed by the state and then also the folks who were on the school board when it was reappointed were appointed by the state. 
this left us going, what about our kids? And this left us subject to all kinds of initiatives that treated our kids like guinea pigs. We have a whole generation of children who had nothing but math and um, language arts in the elementary school. No science, social study, no arts, etc. Several years into takeover, we realized that they had passed this law to allow them to take over schools that were failing. And I put that in quotations. But the law didn't provide for a way for the districts to be returned to the local people. Um, So we started our work way back then advocating for a way for districts to come out of state takeover. It should have been a five-year takeover, and it took 27 years. Um, About 10 years down the line, they came out with a law called QSAC, which is quality, I forget the name right now, sorry, but it's a way to measure how districts are doing across the state. It applied to all districts, and it had a way to come out. If you pass these five areas, 80% or more, then those areas could be returned to the local people. Unfortunately, it had a clause in it that we call the Empress Clause because it made the commissioner of education, a woman at the time, it gave her all the power. After all the rules, regulations, things you have to pass, scores you have to meet, it said at the discretion of the commissioner. So here it was, we finally had a way out, but there was this caveat. The commissioner had to agree that we were ready to come out. And of course, the commissioner serves at the governor's discretion. So. We had a governor in place that when we started to meet the scores across the state, the three districts met scores and the governor said, over my dead body. And who was the governor? at That That was Governor Christie. So we kept pressing for a way to come out and we went at it through several ways, through legislative action, through people rallying, phone calls, emails, conversations with legislators and people at the school board, organized for people to testify every opportunity they got. And eventually, uh, last year, we received a couple of pieces, but last year we got the two last pieces to say, okay, you're ready for um, local control. That starts a process that's about two years of us submitting a plan and having the plan approved and then finally receiving full control. A part of that process is that the community gets to vote as to whether they have an appointed school board appointed by the mayor, which in effect is mayoral control, or an elected school board elected by the people. We were fortunate that folks on the school board, the superintendent, and the mayor all eventually agreed with us that we want to push for an elected school board. The mayor started out going, ooh, yeah, I could do some good with that. But then he thought about it some more and said, yeah, I could because I'm education-minded, but this is a vote that stands forever. So what happens when a mayor comes in who doesn't care about education or about our kids? Um, So thankfully, he was willing to go make a video along with some other community leaders we organized to tell folks, make sure you come out and vote, Make sure you vote in the school board election because it's on the general ballot stuck in the bottom right hand corner and make sure you vote for an elected school board. We did not have the uh, challenges that the other two districts had because the district gets to write the ballot question and ours was clear. Vote type one appointed or type two elected so that we could launch a campaign that said everybody vote type two elected. And an election that did not have great turnout, 
but we had 7,000 votes, 80% of the votes voting for an elected school board. So here we are, we have an elected school board and finally, thankfully, we're on our way out of state control. And I wanna just lift up the fact, sister, that, because as you're talking about the mayor and other community leaders doing a video, I could just see you in the room with them telling them this is what they need to do. Uh, we scripted when they would let us. Yes, <laughs> not yes, everybody yes, not, not everybody needed the script, but we certainly said, yes, here are some talking points. You know, this is what we want the community to know and to make sure that they're mobilized to go in out that and make that vote. Yes. I'm lifting that point up because one of the things that, that's central to effective community organizing is relationships. Yeah. And so you heard Rosie as she talked about the Patterson Education Fund, that, that her work is to move in these circles and build relationships to make sure that her people are at the table. The Parent Education Organizing Committee is the group that speaks power to power, that will show we have a base that can hold you accountable if you don't move in the right way. And so when Rosie is in the room, they know that Rosie is backed by the Parent Education Organizing Committee. So it's important when we do community organizing work, everything is not all about storming the castle. Sometimes you have to build relationships so that you can move decision makers with the threat of things escalating if they don't act right. But because they know you have the capacity to pressure them, to challenge their right to be in office, you have to have those two faces. So I just want to just so people understand as Rosie is dropping the science that her work it was not easy. It was the work of being in those spaces, probably listening to people that didn't have a clue and educating them and making sure that they were on the right side of the fight. And then Linda's work was to make sure that parents were mobilized. So if they have to hit the streets, they're able to hit the street. So is that a fair analysis system? That's fair. We could not do it without the people. You know, one person standing at a mic does not have a whole lot of power. That's right. um, we That's need right. to have the community behind us. We need to Absolutely. have their support. So good work, sister. Brother Fahim, is anything you want to say about the fight in Camden? The fight in Camden is intense. I started becoming aware of the state takeover around 2012 when I started to see like a shift of, you know, principals and teachers and the school superintendent, you know, it was somebody that was like highly unqualified. And, you know, it started the buzz where, like, how did this guy even get this position where they had way more qualified people. And, and then you're starting to see this, uh, you know, this influx of white teachers coming in, you know, and what they bring and, you know, they don't know how to relate to our youth and, you know, they don't understand, you know, the learning styles of our children. And, you know, and it's just like, as soon as something is out of order, you know, they're ready to uh, spin them or write them up or recommend them for some medicine and all that, uh, that stuff. So, so the fight, you know, Canada just has, you know, a long history of, uh, you know, people, you know, chasing funding streams because at the grassroots level, it works. But then like on the other side, when I deal with religious groups and, and trying to make those connections that you were talking about, all of them are like, like chasing funding streams. And then, you know, in private, they'd be like, we like the work that you're doing. But then, you know, in public, they, you know, they stab you in the back, you know. <laughs> I, I got a couple guys in the street that work with me and we was talking and we was like, man, listen, you know, we in the streets, man, you know, we thought we were crooks. Until we got here, and I said I ain't never seen no crime until I got into these, into these buildings. You know, it's a so, different, it's a different level of hustling, brother. It's yeah, a different yeah, level. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we've just been kind of rounding up uh, mostly parents and uh, just trying to get them aware 
And like, look, they're pulling the tablecloth off the table right in front of our eyes. And uh, we just can't sit back and allow this to happen. So you just got to get involved, you know. We were able to win that fight to get back the vote for the superintendent board. And uh, so that's a step in the right direction. But it just, it's just so much work on so many levels to be done. But um, with the Canada Parents Union, you know, we are trying to um, make sure we get enough parents involved. So when people come see us, like, there's a force to be reckoned with. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to approach you. Somebody's going to write something. And, uh, you know, we're going to make some noise until you hear what we need to be heard. And that's a lot of work. And then, you know, um, my primary work is like on the ground. Like, you know, I'm the one that I go knock on doors. I hand out flyers. I call. I text. Listen, you know, and I'll just be like, look, meet me here. Because, you know, getting people in the room sometimes is a difficult task. And, they, you know, there are some people that just ain't going to come. Yes, you sir. know, they ain't going to come to the kind of meetings that we need them. But, you know, I'll go out to them like, this is what I need you to do. You know, like I try to get brothers, just show your presence. You don't have to say anything. Just come and show your presence. And that makes it, you know, that's an impact. I can testify to that, brother, because I've been at a few of you all's town hall meetings. And I saw a group of brothers with you. You just uh-huh. you got me thinking about it. Y'all was posted in the back. And yeah. then the brothers stayed for a little bit, then they bounced. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So I get it. Mm-hmm. And I also want to just lift up, brother, the fact Brother Fahim is sharing an important point. Too often we think that leadership is about who's on the mic. So mm-hmm. if somebody's on the mic, they're the leader. But a leader does what's required. A leader is obedient to a mission, right? So if you are at the table signing people in, if you're cooking food, if you're setting up the tables and the chairs, if you're knocking on doors, all of that work is important. On the mic is just a role. It is not a symbol of capacity. It's just a role maybe based on somebody's skill set. So as this brother's talking about the work that he's done to help mobilize parents around this referendum to win back their right to vote, I want people to understand that all of that work is important. All of it is critical. We've too often allowed Western society to dictate to us what it means to be a leader. But as people of the sun, our history says that we are a collective people. We are not an individualistic people. So as a collective people, that means that all of our work is just a piece to a puzzle. All of it is. And so no matter what your role is, if you are obedient to the mission, if you are able to work with other people, then you're doing leadership development work. So I just want to lift that up, brother, as, as, as you are, are laying out your work. There's some important teachable moments that you're sharing with us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks. So there was actually a campaign in Camden. It wasn't as clear as Patterson, right? And the mayor who tried to front like he was with the people showed his true colors. You all had to do a, I think it said Camden says no, a just say no campaign. Can you say a little bit about that? We kind of like really rallied and uh, let them know that we wasn't going to have it. Uh, we had a, it was a female mayor. She uh, uh, well, she's out of office now, but they got a new Hispanic mayor and he just kind of picked up where she left off. So we went to him and uh, like, listen, this is not going to happen on our watch. So we just showed up in good numbers and, you know, we had the right kind of voices in place. So they had to hear our demands, you know, a lot of those means I might not make. I'm kind of like behind the scenes, but I just try to you know, show up when I need to show up just to make yes, a just a roll call. Then, you know, I'm out I'm out hitting the streets. You know, Rasha, that's my general there. <laughs> I, take, I take my orders directly from her. Indeed, indeed. So, brother, but again, you teach because in Western society, we are taught 
that leadership is a man's job. And if we're honest, many of the greatest organizers in Black history have been women. Right. And the greatest strategists have been sisters. Mm-hmm. So we are very clear in the Journey for Justice Alliance that leadership has nothing to do with gender. It has right. everything to do with spirit. Of course, as men and women, we have different physical strengths and weaknesses, but in regards to being able to organize, strategize, having the courage, having the heart to speak power to power, to fight against powerful interests, that is not based on gender. That is based all on just what beats inside of you, what moves you. And so for you sitting on this podcast saying that you take your orders from General Rancher, I hope she ain't listening because she hear that she's going to give me all types of trouble on that one. But you taking your orders from General Rancher is, brother, a statement of leadership because a leader has to know how to follow. So just for the listeners, what they ended up doing is they tried to flip the language and say, vote yes if you want mayoral control. So Camden had to do a campaign called Just Say No. All right. Ain't that a trip? And uh, I've got the post on the wall in my office. Actually, I was on the election day in the pouring down rain on November 6th. Bancha and Bahija are at the polling places along with many other people. And they got over 70 percent of the vote. People voted, no, we want an elected school board. Mm-hmm. So Camden won. And again, that's against the Norcross family and all types of corporate interests that have been basically carrying wheelbarrows of money out the hood in Camden for decades. Yeah. And would like to see Camden look like Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill, New Jersey, is an affluent suburb in New Jersey. They want to get rid of the people that live in Camden because Camden is right next to Philly. They want Camden to be the new Cherry Hill. So Mm -hmm. in order for parents winning the right to elect their school board is part of the infrastructure to make sure that working class people have a space in Camden, New Jersey. It's not a small victory. I want people to hear what I'm saying, that when they gentrify communities, they take away the infrastructure for our success. They take away housing. They take away food production and delivery systems. So like in Dayton, Ohio, they closed the hospital in West Dayton. Then they closed the only grocery store they had, or Aldi's. So they've taken away the basic quality of life institutions, and they invest in the institutions that will serve the people that they want in those communities. So to win democracy in Patterson, Newark, and Camden is actually a bold step in making sure that black and brown working class families have a stake in those cities moving forward. So salute, brother, moving forward. And and I know you got more work to do, but big work up to this point. Brother Johnny, break it down, brother. You might be on mute. In Newark, it was different because we already had an elective school board. We just wanted to keep the electric school board. So that was our fight. But one thing that we did do that it kind of helped us do is bring other groups together for that fight. I mean, we had the Alliance for Newark Public Schools, but we had other groups who came with us and joined with us. And so we had to, to build our coalition and our alliance to do that fight and do so. People went canvassing every day. We had people do um, letter writing campaigns to make sure that people can go to the poll and vote and keep the elected school board. Because we knew, you know, although we had a hometown mayor, we knew that he may be the hometown, but we know that during the previous elections with him, and it's nothing to knock him, but we just wanted to make sure that the power of the people 
and the vote in other people's state in the, in the hands of the people. So that's what we did. So we really built coalition building, which kept his now to move forward to the thing that we want to do. But honestly, that's the work that all three of you did. Rosie, can you explain a little bit about the coalitions that you built in Patterson? I want to say that we were also elected. It was to keep the elected school board and not move it to appointed. All our work is coalition building. No man is an island. You know, that's that's an old hymn from way back when. It's important that we have partners. So in everything that we do, most of our work is putting kids on track to college. We have a community where most of our kids will still be the first in their family to go to college. 12% of our adults have college degrees. So we think that's an important movement and everything that we're doing is related to that. So we're talking with the clergy, the NAACP, the Black Lives Matter campaign, the Save the Village folks, the union, whoever will come to the table, as long as they'll join us in this agenda for education of our black and brown children, we will partner with them. It's important that we have these coalitions. We had an arts and music campaign when the kids were starving for arts and music, and all the people who are doing that work in the community came together, formed a task force, and this way, we're coming in numbers. So it may not be the same people all the time coming to the table, but it's always a broad cross-section of the community depending on what the issue is. When it comes to the issue of having a vote and having representation, we needed everybody. So all those people I mentioned, we went to and said, hey, you know the situation we've talked before. We need you to do this video. We need you and your constituents. Because um, they're not going to always listen to me or to Linda, et cetera. But the pastors have their congregations. That's the NAACP right. have their members. The Hispanic Alliance have their members. That's and in right. the same way, when we do things at the state level, because the decisions are made in Trenton, we make sure that we're partnering with some statewide organization mm -hmm. because we need the power. you know, the, right. And the people, the people have the power and we have to claim it and use it. Yes, ma'am. So I, I want people to, to just lock in to, to kind of what's being dropped right now. We say that community organizing is an artistic science, that actually activism and organizing, while both important, are different. Activism is something that you can do as an individual. You can say, my commitment is mentoring children. So I'm going to, uh, my commitment, I had a partner of mine that they did a big campaign against cigarette companies targeting young black kids doing hip-hop commercials. And he cared about that. So he lifted his voice on that issue. And it's important work. Community organizing is different. Community organizing is around working with the people directly impacted to build power to address particular issues that they care about. So Rosie, Johnny, and Brother Fahim are talking about the work that they did to either retain or to get their schools back from state takeover. And what I want to share with people is that none of them did it alone. And you hear Rosie talking about it. In Camden, I saw meetings where you had building trades. Now, when do building trades unite with Black people, right? But the powerful work that they were doing actually had the building trades in the room in a coalition to get back local control. Now, let's talk about coalitions and alliances. Coalitions. Uh, as you hear people talking and you heard Johnny talking about the alliance, which is really a coalition in Newark, right? That 
coalitions are often temporary relationships where people come together around a particular issue. They have a common interest. A common interest could be returning to local control. Common interest could be getting community schools. A common interest can be uh, stopping zero tolerance policies in schools in a particular campaign. So like in Pittsburgh, we'll be talking about them next week. They organize a coalition to ban the suspension of kindergarten through second grade. Now, ain't it crazy that you even have to have a coalition to stop that? But yeah. they actually organized a coalition and they won a kindergarten through second grade ban. They brought together several organizations who cared about that issue. You may not agree on everything. You may not work together on everything, but you come together around a particular issue and then you build a strategy in order to move decision makers so that you win policy and or resources to address the issue that you care about. So coalitions can lead to alliances. Alliances are relationships that are built on a set of shared values. So in the Journey for Justice Alliance, we are not just caring about the issue of community schools. We are coming together around a belief in equity in public education. And because we are aligned in that belief, we're actually now talking about affordable housing, right? We're trying to see the connection between affordable housing, school privatization, and the pushing out of black people in urban spaces. Sisters and brothers, when you hear the wisdom that our guests drop, don't let it go in one and out the other. You know, let it sit because they're teaching about the artistic science and community organizing. Uh, we are just about out of time. So I want to thank my amazing guests and just want to see if you all can just share one parting thought around your victories that you've waged and anything you'd like to share with the people before we go. We have to continue to organize, empower, and teach. And we have to build and keep moving and keep being strong. And that's it. Brother Fahim, any parting words, my brother? Yeah, we got to fight the powers that be. You know, we just got to keep moving, build a village. So the listeners out there, make sure you play your part. You can get involved. If it's just service, whatever you can do, just your presence. We need it all. Just come through, help us. And together we can get it done. Last but not least, Ms. Rose. Show up. Raise your voices, organize, centralize, come as one. Thank you. All right. So again, I want to thank my amazing guests, sisters and brothers. A brother taught me this a long time ago. Uh, my teacher, uh, Baba Fudishi and Patanishi from Detroit, Michigan. Fudishi and Patanishi means teacher of peace. This is a brother from the Black Power Movement who mentored me as a young cub. He told me and some other brothers and sisters, he said, we must be bold and daring. We must push possibilities to the limit. Well, our only limitations are the ones that we accept. This society is not going to teach us how to make change. It's not because there's too much profit in our pain. There's too much money being made off our misery. Remember when Bill Clinton signed the crime bill, it was $31 billion towards building new prisons. They still are building prisons off the crime bill. And they align school policy to help fuel that school-to-prison pipeline. So we cannot depend on this society to teach us how to make change. We have to often get in other spaces, look each other in the eye and struggle. I call it that white mud that is white supremacy that often blinds our vision and begin to envision what this world can look like. Because ask yourself this, what are we gonna leave the next generation other than problems? Are we gonna leave them some infrastructure? Are we gonna leave them some victories that they can learn from? Are we going to leave them 
a sense of how to, or are we just going to dump it in their lap and say, now it's your turn? We maintain that our work is to build the infrastructure for this country to change, that we can see some of that change in our lifetime, but the transformation of this country, we have to lay the foundation for that work. So that's one of the reasons why we do this podcast. We're not going to share secrets. We're not giving you people's address. The FBI can go kicking down people's doors and stuff like that. But what we will do in this podcast is talk honestly and openly about what it means to make change. And we will talk to people who are making it. So that when people say that black people don't care, you're like, no, yes, they do. You say that black people don't stand up. Well, oh, yes, they do. In Philadelphia, they did this. In Patterson, they did this. In Oakland, they did this. In Detroit, they're doing this. So please use this podcast as a vehicle to spread the word, to spread the gospel that regular people can make change in this country. We're going to close our podcast out today with a song by uh, one of the greatest young lyricists that's out here. J. Cole is nice, y'all. For those that are not into J. Cole, check him out. The brother grabs the mic. He can freestyle. He's got delivery. He's got that voice fluctuation. He's got emotion. He's got swagger. He's got everything a good MC is supposed to have. To me, he's like a 21st century Big Daddy Kane. Now, I didn't just gave his brother mad props, so he, he might need to come on the show one day and say thank you. But J. Cole got a song called Count It Up. And the reason we're using that song today because what the brother sister did in New Jersey is they counted it up. They said, we don't care about corporate interests. We don't care about the money you all have. One person, one vote. And they won back the right to elect their school boards and protected democracy in their cities. With that being said, I want to say Tuta Onana, peace, hotel, we out. Count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it. Count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it. I know that it's difficult, I'm stacking this paper, it's sorta of habitual I blow the residual, and fucking your bitch like it's part of my ritual Part of the visual, but money you give me a heart on the typical I wanted it physical, a million dollars I count up in intervals Without it I'm miserable, don't wanna fall off so I'm all in my bag Thinking God like it's biblical, I know it's gonna solve every problem I have I ball on the principle, remember the teachers is all on my ass Now look all of them pitiful, and all of a sudden I'm so good at math Count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up Count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it. Can't take it when you die, but you can't live without it. Count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it, count it up, count it up, count it up, count it. Can't take it when you die. Oh no, don't stress big pills, big pills. I fell in love with big wheels and quick thrills. My drinking's running tip drills. Can't sit still, don't give a f if it kills. It mix well, I'm only counting big Bills, big bills, I fell in love with big wheels and quick thrills. My shook is running tip drills. Can't sit still, don't give a f if it kills. It mixed well, I'm only counting.